Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of AZ Vineyard Church. Today, Sandy Brown asks you, are you a missionary or an imposter? Go get a notebook, grab a Bible, and expect to have an encounter with God today. Well, I'm so glad to be here today. I've got lots of things to share, so let's, let's pray first and ask God to extend the time because I have a lot to share with you today. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here in the house today. We thank you for every single soul that walked in those doors today. We ask, Father God, that the message that I have today would come from you and not from me, that it would fall on soft hearts, Father God, that are ready to receive the word that you have for them and for me today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John said, be who you are. So here I am. Shoes off. Tissues at the ready. All right. We went to a conference and they said, just embrace the weird. So I am who I am. And I'm a little weird. So hope you're okay with that. So... Ed, if you'll put that first slide up for me. I thought about doing my own slides, but that's way too much. My husband Ed's in the, in the AV booth back there, and he made me wear this fancy mic thing. So if I don't know what to do with my hands, just go with it, because I usually have a mic to hang on to. So I want to start today with this little girl. That little girl is me. And that's about the time I gave my life to Jesus. My grandma and grandpa were traveling evangelists, and they, I would go spend every summer with them in Missouri. And I remember this was back in the 70s. I will be 50 this year. Um, I would go spend every summer. <laughs> I, I passed that on to my daughter. <laughs> so... I'm in Missouri, right, with my grandma and grandpa. I'm about five years old, and they had a musical group. So my grandpa sang, my aunt and uncle played and sang, and her best friend and her husband played and sang, and my grandma would sit in the front row as the support of the family. So I remember being in this old country church, right, rural Missouri, Missouri, if you're from there, you got to say it right. And I remember walking back and forth in the back pew, we had pews back then, right? We didn't have these nice detachable chairs. There were wooden pews, and they had a little bench, a little cushion on the bench so that your rear end wouldn't hurt by the end of the long-winded preachers. I was raised Assemblies of God, so um, I remember being, like, just like it was yesterday, I remember being five years old and walking back and forth in those pews listening to them practice before the service. And they were singing these songs about Jesus, and my grandparents talked freely about Jesus in their home because they loved Jesus. From the time my grandpa went, by the time I was born till the time my grandpa died, he loved Jesus. He served him. He went into nursing homes when he was elderly and brought his karaoke machine and sang for the, for the elderly. So I come from a legacy of people who love Jesus. And I remember being five years old, listening to them practice and talking about Jesus. And I remember thinking, this Jesus guy sounds pretty cool. I want to be, I want that Jesus in my heart. And so all by myself in a church, I got on my knees on the ugly marigoldy 70s carpet. I remember it like it was yesterday, I'm telling you. 
And the Holy Spirit confronted me as a five-year-old little girl. And I gave my heart to Jesus at five years old. No one led me in a sinner's prayer. No one walked me up front. God doesn't have to meet you at the altar. God will meet you where you're at. And I remember coming home and saying, we need to go to church. And my whole family started going to church at that time. So fast forward, grew up in the church, and um, things happen in life, right? We all know that. Sometimes really tough things happen in life. Well, some tough things happened in my life. My parents got divorced. A lot of my friends at church turned against us because my parents had done the the unforgivable sin of getting divorced. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this God's not all he's cracked up to be. And I walked away. I walked away from the church. I walked away from the Lord. And I lived my own life, my own way. As a very young adult, I made a lot of bad decisions that I, I regret now. The Lord uses them and has taught me a lot of things and has made me compassionate towards people because I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. And I found out I wasn't, but I was still a good person and God could still use me, right? So during this time period, I met my husband, and we, you know, did our thing, had a baby, did our thing, and I remember I was pregnant with Angela, so that was coming up on 22 years ago, and this church sent out an Easter flyer. I think it's the one and only time that they've done a mailing, correct me if I'm wrong. No, we did twice. Twice, okay. (laughs) Well, whichever one this was, it took. So we got this postcard in the mail, and I thought, oh, that's nice, whatever, laid it on the counter, went about my business. Well, we had gone to Cottonwood to uh, visit my dad. My dad lives up in the Verde Valley. We went to Cottonwood, and we went to the Vineyard Church in Cottonwood. And I'm like, okay, these people are nice, kind of weird, but okay, they're nice. And the pastor got up. He and his wife were celebrating their anniversary, and the pastor got up and started talking about the cruise they were going on, and then he did a whole sermon on sex. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, of course, my husband's like, hey, I like that pastor. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so we come home. I have, a, I have a tear in my glasses. I can't see. So we co- <laughs> told you I'm weird. So we come home, and I remembered that postcard. And I looked at that postcard, and I said, yeah, maybe we'll try this one out. So I stuck it on the refrigerator. So it went from the counter to a magnet on the refrigerator, and still nothing. Well, my daughter was born a little bit early, and she had some issues, and I remember being in the hospital room, and let me backtrack. While I was doing my own nonsense, you know, during that time in my life, um, I knew God was pursuing me. I ignored him, but I knew he was pursuing me. So I know there's a big theological debate about once saved, always saved, or if you can walk away from the Lord. I can only tell you from my own experience, I got saved at five years old, and just because I was living my own life didn't mean that he didn't still love me and wasn't still pursuing me. So I'm in my hospital room after having her. She's in the NICU, and I did this, and I know I'm not the only one. I said, okay, Lord, here's the deal. If you let my baby live and be healthy, I promise I'll go back to church right? So guess what? There she is, second row, 22 years old. Pride and joy, she and my son are the pride and joy of my life. And guess what? (laughs) 
I didn't know who God was because I felt that I needed to barter with him for his goodness. His goodness is available to us all the time. Whether we messed up or whether we didn't, his goodness is available all the time. So we're starting a series on missions, right? I'm the beginning of the missions sermons. So I started doing some research. I'm kind of brainy. I like books. I like researching. I like learning. I love history. So I read this um, quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's one of the greatest 19th century English preachers and theologians, and he's quoted as saying, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So who in the house would say you're a Christian? And are you a missionary or are you an imposter? He also says, you've never truly found Jesus if you don't tell others about him. Because when we find the love of our life, don't we want to tell everybody about it? So Holy Spirit is really cool with me. Like I told you, I'm a weirdo. I do some weird things. And so I started researching this Charles Spurgeon. I didn't know that much about him. And I found out that he and I share a birthday. He was born on June 19th, and so was I. So I call that my Holy Spirit breadcrumbs because he gives me little pieces to fall. He's like, you're on the right track. Keep, keep going, keep going. So I continued to research him. This, he was born in 1834, so quite a long time ago, right? So there was no technology. There was no internet. There was no cell phones, right? I doubt he had a cool mic like I'm wearing today that my husband made me wear. <laughs> and here's his salvation story. He got saved by accidentally hearing a salvation message during a roaring blizzard. Seeking shelter, he entered the primitive Methodist chapel in Colchester, England. Spurgeon thought that the man was, quote-unquote, really stupid and could not even pronounce the words rightly. Yet, by God's grace, he received the gift of salvation in that church that day. This young man became on fire for Jesus and shared the good news of Jesus Christ with over a million people. No technology. No internet. With over a million people and personally baptized 15,000 new believers under his ministry. Is that crazy? That's miraculous. That's God. He left a great legacy, and he had a passionate belief that the gospel must be expressed in action. So we got to do something about what we know, right? So I have a question for you. When Mr. Spurgeon said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, did he mean that we should sell everything, get on the next plane to who knows where, and serve in cross-culture ministry? No, no. Not necessarily. Some people, yes. I know, um, I know Courtney has a heart for missions. I don't see her right now. She's probably in the back with her baby. She and I have shared that she has a burning passion to, to go and to diff different places around the world and minister to people. But I'm convinced that in Spurgeon's mind, the essence of what it means to be a Christian is that you live your life right where you are as a missionary. God calls us to a life of faithfulness and obedience wherever this life takes us. Our purpose on this planet, are you ready? If you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. Our purpose on this planet is devotion to God, His glory, and His mission. Amen. That's right. Everything else you do in your life 
will fall under those things. Devotion to God, his glory, and his mission. So I want you to just take a second and connect with what the word missionary brings up in your heart. I know when I think of missionary, I think of something really big, more than what I'm capable of, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. But as our friend Byron always says, Byron comes to our church, he's a prophet that's, a, that's connected to this house, he always says, minister to the one in front of you. So take another second and think about who's the one in front of you. It's just that simple. So today, I forgot something. Today, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Jonah. See, I'm not good with technology either. I forgot it. So I have a story. I'm full of stories today. Do you guys like stories? Yeah. You good with stories for a little bit? Okay. So here's another story. We do I help in this house on Monday nights. I help stands for Interfaith Homeless Emergency Lodging Program. And what that means is we have people come to our church on Mondays that are experiencing homelessness at the time. We do a meal for them, we hang out with them, we play cards with them, and then they sleep in our building and they leave the next morning. So, um, as Heather said, I kind of have this mama anointing. I kind of mother everybody. Sorry if I've mothered you and you didn't want it. Um, <laughs> but sometimes people need a mama, right? So we had this group of men at the time that were sleeping back here in our room. And it's one of our, our preschool classrooms for children's ministry. And I came in to say goodnight, and they're like, Mama Sandy, read us a story. <laughs> These are grown men. This is not for, for kids. But, you know, when that anointing starts flowing, sometimes kids act like children. I mean, adults act like children. So I said, okay, I need to do a couple of things. Pick out a book from the preschool bookshelf, and I'll come back and I'll read you a bedtime story. So they thought that was real funny, right? Okay, we're going to do this story. So I go out, do what I need to do, come back in, and they had pulled Jonah and the whale. So I read the preschool version of Jonah and the whale. And all of a sudden, I feel the Holy Spirit come, and I felt him say, there's more. So I said, do you guys want to hear it, the whole story actually out of the Bible? And they're like, sure, that sounds good. So I said, okay, let me get my Bible and let's read. So go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. It's between Obadiah and Micah. It's, it's four chapters, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do a running commentary. We're just going to read the story together, okay? So we're going to start at the beginning because the beginning is a good place to start, right? So in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the... Oh, hold on. I like the message. It's, a tra it's, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but I like it because it makes it... Um, I use this term for myself when it's hard to understand. I like the Sesame Street version. So this is a little more Sesame Street version for my mind, so hopefully it, it, it relates to you too. So this is one day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them, 
They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. But God sent a huge storm at sea. The waves were towering. The ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods, small g. They threw everything they were carrying overboard to lighten the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. So when I read this, it made me think of Jesus in the storm. Where was he taking a nap? So Jonah knew God. He wasn't afraid. He just didn't want to do what he said. Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. The captain came to him and said, What's this? Sleeping? Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe your God will see we're in trouble and rescue us. Then the sailors said to one another, Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws to identify the culprit on this ship who's responsible for this disaster. So they drew straws, and of course, Jonah got the short straw. Then they grilled him. Confess. Why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. At that, the men were frightened, really frightened, and said, What on earth have you done? As Jonah talked, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. They said to him, What are we going to do with you to get rid of this storm? By this time, the sea was wild, totally out of control. Jonah said, Throw me overboard into the sea, then the storm will stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me, and you'll get rid of the storm. But no, the men tried rowing back to shore. They made no headway. The storm only got worse and worse, wild and raging. Then they prayed to God, Oh God, don't let us drown because of this man's life, and don't blame us for his death. You're God. Do what you think is best. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. Immediately, the seas quieted down. The sailors were impressed, no longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. His glory, right? They worshipped God, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. Then God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the fish's belly for three days and nights. Then Jonah prayed to God, to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed, in trouble, deep trouble, I prayed to God. He answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help. You heard my cry. You threw me into the ocean's depths, into a watery grave with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I've been thrown away. I've been thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never again light eyes on your holy temple. I've been there in my life. Oceans gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet. Don't you love yet? Yet, you pulled me up from that grave alive. Oh, God, my God. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you. It made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love. But I'm worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, and I'll do what I promised I'd do. Salvation belongs to God. Then God spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. Can we all say yuck? 
Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. God loved these people. This time, Jonah started off straight for Nineveh, smelling like fish, I'm sure, obeying God's orders to the letter. Nineveh was a big city, very big. It took three days to walk across it. Jonah entered the city, went one day's walk, and preached. In 40 days, Nineveh will be smashed. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. When the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and sat down in the dirt. Then he issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders. Not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal, including your herds and flocks. Dress them all, both people and animals, in burlap, and send up a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. Who knows, maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us. Quit being angry with us and let us live. God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives. He did change his mind about them. Just what he said he would do to them, he didn't do. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. How many times have we felt that way about people in our lives? God said, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. God arranged for a broadleaf tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. But then God sent a worm. By dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree and it withered away. The sun came up and God sent a hot blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Jonah was a bit of a drama queen, right? <laughs> then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about this shade tree? Jonah said, plenty of right. It's made me angry enough to die. God said, what's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next day. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all of the innocent animals. In Jonah 2.1, Jonah prays to God from the belly of the fish. He finally gets off his high horse and self-interest and trusts that God is right. Prior to this, there is no mention of Jonah praying before he got on the boat to Tarshish. God trusted him as a prophetic voice to bring healing to Nineveh. Yet Jonah was misguided by lack of prayerfulness, judgment, and God's perspective and love. He didn't have God's perspective. Just because Jonah found the ship to Tarshish does not mean that God provided it. Sometimes we think, oh, let's make it go my way. Oh, the ship's here, so that must be God. I'm getting on board, right? 
There are many things that provide an alternative to obedience in our lives. God has the best thing for us. Sometimes we choose good things instead of the best things that God has for us. We must remain prayerful and attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit to discern what is there to distract and derail us. In the story of Jonah, we may underestimate the provision of the giant fish, but if you really think about it, how many of you have been out in the ocean and saw a fish big enough to live in it for three days inside its belly? That is pretty crazy, right? We serve a crazy, creative, miraculous God. I'm sure that Jonah did not find it pleasing being in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Sometimes God allows things so we can get, he can get our attention. Jonah expected to die by drowning in the sea. That was his expectation because he knew he had disobeyed God. But God's plan was not that. His plan had not been fulfilled, and he delivered Jonah. And what a testimony Jonah had as he walked towards Nineveh and walked through that town for three days. I'm sure that when he got vomited up on the seashore, he knew God was no longer joking about this mission. Have you ever sensed that God was telling you to step out in faith and do something, yet you lacked the confidence, the funds, the time, so you made valid excuses and went about your way? Then everything falls apart until you obey. So, when I had Angela, and she came home healthy and strong, I started attending this church, and the Lord told me, I want you to stay home with your kids. And I said, nope, not going to do it. I like going to work. I like having a life outside of this house. And we can't afford it anyway. So there were my excuses, right? Then everything fell apart. We had vehicle issues. Our child care provider couldn't watch our kids any longer. It, it was just one thing after another. And I'm like, all right, Lord, show me what you want us to do. And so he strategically gave us plans for me to be able to stay home. We didn't have the whole plan yet, but we had a step. And so I resigned from my position and took the step. And guess what? Because I had been attending this church and I had connections, people found out, oh, Sandy's staying home and to watch her two kids. Maybe this Becca actually outed me. So I start getting calls from people at church. Would you watch our kid? Would you watch our child? Would you watch my child? And I ran a pretty lucrative 10-year in-home childcare business, which wasn't my plan, but it provided. I was able to stay home and minister to my own kids, and I got a whole lot of experience being Mama Sandy to other kids that were not my own. His plan was way better than mine. And it set me up for the things I was able to do in the last 22 years. But prayer is the fuel on the fire of any ministry. A lack of prayerfulness leads to all kinds of sins and wrongdoing on the part of God's people. So how does your prayer life shape your witness and your credibility? So I have a really cool testimony. Another story. You ready? So... Ed, will you put up the slide of the first slide of Joy Jesus Camp? So, uh, my husband went to this camp in 1998. We had a doctor from the Air Force who started attending our church, 
and he was a part of this camp in Detroit, Michigan. And he, everywhere he was stationed, he would start these little camps, right, for, for at-risk kids. These are kids that had three strikes against them before they even probably hit kindergarten. Um, so we would take kids 5 to 12 years old to camp. Um, and he went in 1998. And if any of you know my husband, he's not super kid-friendly. I'm the kid-friendly part of the relationship. He tolerates children. <laughs> um, but he went as a counselor to this camp with at-risk boys. Wow, right? That had to have been God, because that probably wasn't in his plan. Well, he came back so stoked and excited that he's like, we're taking girls next year. you got to come too. So I could have made the excuse, no, I've got a two, three-year-old at home, and I, just have, I don't have time for that, and it's not really on my radar. Well, we started going to the planning meetings, and I thought, okay, I'll test it out and see what's, what's, what it's about, all about. So we go, and we're planning the camp and everything, and Dr. Dave looks at me and he says, so do you know how to cook? And I'm like, well, I, I cook. And he said, have you ever cooked for large groups before? And I said, 10 or 12 at Thanksgiving? And he's like, well, I want you to be the cook. Would you consider that? We took 50 boys and tw about 25 staff, so we're looking at 75 people for the boys' camp and then again for the girls' camp. So I started praying about it, and I'm like, I don't know, that's a lot. But I felt like the Holy Spirit said yes. And so I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but okay, I'm taking the first step. I'll say yes. And as soon as I did, wouldn't you know, God, God uh, pays for what he orders, right? So he hooked me up with a lady named Cassie Wilkins at All Faith Community Resources, which is a food bank, and they do a lot of different things in our community. And she helped me. She basically made the menu calculated how much of each thing we were going to need, all the things that I wasn't equipped to do. I didn't have to be equipped to do it. I just had to say yes. And so we worked in conjunction with St. Mary's Food Bank. They started get, gathering supplies, donating all the food. And she calls me about two days before camp, and Cassie says, so we have a little problem. We don't have the breakfast sausage that's on the menu. And I'm like, no big deal. We've got donations. We'll just go buy breakfast sausage. Not a biggie, right? I'm going to make sure that it happens out of my strength and my pocketbook. And she said, wait, let's just pray and see what God does. Oh, woman of faith. I was not that woman of faith. I'm like, that's silly. Okay, I'll appease you. Oh, Lord, send us breakfast sausage. <laughs> Guess what? God answers, oh, Lord, send us breakfast sausage. Even if we have the faith of a mustard seed. Because she calls me the very next day and says, don't worry about the sausage. I said, why not? A Farmer John meat truck rolled on I-10, and they donated all of the meat products to St. Mary's Food Bank. So that's pretty miraculous, right? What are the chances of that? So even if your prayers are not full of faith, you still pray them. Prayerfulness precedes action and ensures God-honoring ministry that bears lasting fruit. We did that camp for 10 years, and we took 50 boys and 50 girls to camp every summer for 10 years, and about 90% of them gave their life to Jesus.
We want our time and efforts to be lasting for his kingdom, or are we just doing things to make ourselves feel good? So I do, I, I head up outreach in this church, and my question for people is, people have lots of ideas of things we can do. I don't want to waste time doing good things. I want to do things that are great, that God is breathing on, and that meets needs. Because we can make ourselves feel good and rub ourselves on the back and say, yes, I did something good today. But is it what God had for us? God's desire is that we obey his word and call and are willing to become a witness to his fame in the darkest of places. So are there any Christians in the house that have a Bible? We're going to do this really fast. Because what is his word and what is his call on our lives, right? If we don't know the plan, then how do we implement the plan? So we're going to start with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. Most of you will probably know it. Some of you may not. This is after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and before he ascended back into heaven. He met with his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So is it on us for people to get saved? Yes and no. It's on us to say yes and take the step that he gives us, right? Yeah. It's on the power of his Holy Spirit moving on people's hearts whether they get saved or not. But it's our job to go and tell, right? So Mark 16, 15, again, after crucifixion and resurrection, before ascension, Jesus came and he said to them, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So look around this room. Are we all creation? When we go into the grocery store, are those people part of creation? Yes. Are our neighbors part of creation? Are our family members part of creation? These are Jesus' red-letter words. In our um, devotions this week, Heather did a great job. I saw a couple of hers, and, and yesterday said... In John 4.35, there's some things, and then it says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for the harvest. There are people out there that are ready to hear the gospel message. Yeah. If we don't tell them, who will? Yeah. Romans, uh, John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So are we supposed to get worked up about it? With passion and zeal, are we supposed to get worked up about it in worry and anxiety and stress? What was his first words? Peace be to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. One thing I love about Jesus, he was never in a hurry and he was never worried and yet he changed the world. And we are called to look and be like him. Romans 10, 13 through 14, this is Paul, and he says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So I want you to, to say to yourself, I am a missionary. I am a missionary. 
I am a preacher. I have the good news. Then in Acts 13 through 47, for the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So all the way around that big blue marble, that's our mission. That's what we're here to do. We're to bring the good news. And if good news doesn't sound good, is it very good? We don't want to beat people over the head with, you have to be saved or you're going to hell. That doesn't sound like good news to me. So I'm, do, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World by Joanna Weaver. It's a great book. I'm reading it with a couple of ladies here in the church. And she has a quote that I loved when I read it. She's talking about our excuses that we give to God. I've touched on this a little bit. We have family priorities. We need to do self-care. It's not convenient. I don't have time. Or here's a good one after Jim's message that he talked about with the tools, and we all have access to the tools, right? It's not my gifting. Being a missionary is not an optional thing. You don't get to pick what stereo you want in the car. It is standard operating procedure that we share the gospel message. Doesn't matter what your gifting is, doesn't matter what your strongest is, strongest in, doesn't matter. So she says, by using those excuses and not saying yes to the Lord, she was like the Israelites in Psalm 106, verse 13 and 15. Let me find it here. It says in the New King James Version, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Remember, we talked about prayer. And he gave them their request. He sent leanness into their soul. That struck me. Leanness into their souls. That's what happens, I believe, when no becomes our easy answer to things outside our own personal agendas. Our souls grow skinny, starved, and weak. For we were created for abundant fullness, not for negative ingrown activity. We were created to say an enthusiastic, help me out here. That was lame. We were created to say an enthusiastic, that was better, to the call of God in our lives, both his call to devotion and his call to service. Glorify God, be about his mission. Here's the really cool part. Are you ready? Saying yes to him releases his power, his miraculous, and his joy into our souls. His joy gives us strength and energy to do what he wants us to do. So yesterday, we went to the park that we're doing the outreach at next weekend, We prayed over the park and the neighborhood, and then a team of us went door to door, and we handed out flyers, or door hangers, inviting the people in the neighborhood to come and join us for a fun day in the park, right? Was it hard? Who went with me? 
Was it hard? No. Was it, did it take forever? No. I'd say maybe 30 minutes we spent in that neighborhood. We sowed seeds, we prayer walked, and we're going to reap a harvest next week. We're sending, we did 100 flyers yesterday on the doors. We're putting 300 flyers into those two closest schools to the park to invite the kids out. We have collected, as of Wednesday, 547 eggs and 292 pieces of candy. We have a very wonderful mathematician in our house on staff. Mary Allen loves to count things. She counts you every week. You matter. She counts you every week. When you bring your family and friends, she counts you every week. You matter and you count because you're counted. So 547 pieces of candy, is that going to be, or 547 eggs, is that going to be enough for the 200 kids we're believing God for? We have one week, people. I want to have 2,400 eggs before Saturday. I'm believing for that because if God can roll a sausage truck, God can bring 2,400 plastic eggs into this house, right? And each one of those eggs, our youth group is going to be joining with us next Friday night. We are going to stuff those eggs. We are going to tape those eggs. We are going to pray over those eggs. And I want anyone who has time on Saturday to go online, sign up for the outreach, and come out and figure out how we do this thing called life together and how we minister to the neighborhoods around our church. John and I both felt very strongly that this is a neighborhood that we're going to continue to impact. This is just the first little seed we're planting. It's very easy to come out and do an Easter egg hunt and monitor a bounce house and do some face painting and help the kids and their families hand out a flyer for our church. We're inviting them to our Easter service. We're being strategic in this house, something that we've not been great at in the past. We are moving into the things that God has for us, and we're doing it with plan and purpose. And I'm asking each and every one of you to join us. So side note, Sometimes ministry isn't super comfortable. I'll just be honest. There's no bathrooms at this park. So I encourage all of you to use the restroom before you come to the park. If we need to run a potty break to the church, we can do that. We can do all things, right? Even if it's a potty break. And we're going to minister to these families in the park. Thanks for listening to AZ Vineyard Church. We are located in Goodyear, Arizona. To learn more about our church and upcoming events, check out our website, azvineyard.com. That's A-Z-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com.